Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. In this episode, we speak with Zach Rosen, the CEO and co-founder of Pantheon. We chat about how Zach's curiosity and early experiences at the intersection of society and technology eventually led to building the leading web ops platform, one that empowers marketing and development teams to take control of their websites while giving them the agility to win in the dynamic world of digital marketing. Pantheon powers over 300,000 sites and is trusted by thousands of marketing and development teams around the world. The company is backed by $100 million of venture investment from Sageview Capital, Scale Venture Partners, Foundry Group, as well as Baseline Ventures, First Round Capital, and Floodgate. We hope you enjoy the show. Zach, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a pleasure to be with you and chat a little bit today. You know, typically I kick off with a little bit of background on yourself as well as the company. One thing I'd like to point out, which I thought was super interesting, was that during your college years, you felt so passionate about joining a campaign. So you decided to leave. And I find that so fascinating because many of the people I've interviewed have had very unique beginnings, I would say, to their career, which have you know, eventually led to something great later on. Can you tell us a little bit about that time? And, and you know, we're apolitical, so it doesn't yeah. really matter which side. It's just that you felt so passionate that you decided to leave and, and pursue this. Yeah, I'm endlessly fascinated by this intersection of technology and society. And I'm very lucky early in my life to figure that out. And the reason I dropped out of school was just this kind of uh, realization that that <laughs> I needed to be there. You know, I just had really, really strong conviction that that would be the most, literally the most interesting place in the world to be. And basically <laughs> begged, borrowed and steal, you know, my way into a job, which I probably had no business getting at that age. And, you know, ended up being incredibly lucky and fortunate to have that, you know, really early career experience. You know, the campaign, the campaign was a Dean campaign. This was 2003. <laughs> you know, I would argue it's probably the first campaign at national scale run primarily via the internet. I had really close friends from there go on and take what we learned and applied in that context and, you know, essentially run the technology teams, digital teams for the Obama campaigns in 08 and, and 12. Obviously, it's a huge success. And, you know, it was a real lesson to me early in my career, you know, that you really can have amazing impact at scale. You know, it was a case, it really was a case I saw with my own two eyes of a couple dozen people really changing the world. And you know that really stuck with me as a you know aspiration for the kind of work that I wanted to do. And the tie-in with what we're doing at Pantheon in this venture-backed company-building path, you know, I <laughs> I'm a big fan of many things, including democracy as a way of governing societies and the open web, which I think of. You know, I'm a nerd, but I think of the open web somewhere up there between the printing press and you know democracy in in terms of really important human inventions. Not that we rely on. And I, as I've gotten a little older, I no longer take things like democracy and the open web for granted. <laughs> like it really matters. Mm -hmm. Matters what people do, you know? And I, you know, again, got very lucky to work with my co-founders early in my career. We specialized in this kind of, at the time, kind of obscure technology problem space that since then, since this is like in 2008, 2009, 10, has really exploded 
And that, that is this problem set. So at the time, we were hired as these specialists in our mid-20s, which is a strange experience because like, what business do we have coming in to these companies? You know, some of them are 150-year-old companies, very large organizations, you know, billions of revenue, whose business model, these are media companies, their business model was in great flux would be a, <laughs> an understatement. Essentially, their digital business, they were furiously, furiously trying to grow but their print businesses were crumbling beneath their feet. And so they were in this really mm-hmm. tough spot of throwing everything they could at growing these digital businesses and reorienting their whole approach to their business and business model. And they were parachuting in these 25-year-olds to figure out this really thorny technology problem, which was how do you iterate a digital experience and make it better and better and better each day? so that you can drive up conversion rates and engagement rates and acquire more customers and grow your business through your digital product, which is a really hard thing to do that at the time, only really the best-in-class software companies knew how to do effectively. But these businesses knew that they would literally die if they couldn't figure out how to do this. And so there we were, because we were the, <laughs> turns out, weirdly, we were the only ones who knew how to do it. And then really, that's a credit to my co-founders, who are the David Strauss, I would say, is really the single best systems engineer in the ecosystem of website technology. He was the one who figured out how to do this at scale as consultants. And then we were hired over and over again as consultants to solve this problem. And at some point, we would give them back this solution and they would always say the same thing, which is like, what do I do with this? Like my IT organization only knows how to manage servers. And this is DevOps. This is a very you know complex product. And uh, we would say like, yes, this is not servers, but we did not have a great answer as consultants as to how to manage it. And at some point we realized that everyone was going to run into this problem sooner rather than later. Every business in the, you know, really is going to figure out that they need to iterate their digital experiences to compete. And the only way they're going to do that with their website, their most important product, digital product, certainly in, in all of marketing, was by implementing DevOps. And the only scalable way to do that for the industry would be as a SaaS service, not as a consulting implementation. So that led us to actually go down the path of starting the company. And so the problem, one thing I noticed is you've done a very nice job kind of consistently scaling, at least in terms of raising capital every two to three years in kind of increasing increments with you know very reputable investors. Has the problem that you were trying to solve evolved over time? It seems like initially you were brought to the table to figure out how to ensure that these you know more traditional media companies could compete in the digital space but you've probably expanded your kind of target market. So are you solving kind of a, a whole set of problems for companies now? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, the benefit of hindsight, what we experienced back then was really the beginning of this, you know, as you know, huge transformation across, I mean, essentially like all sectors of the economy, which is these days, if you're building a company, it doesn't matter what size, if you're a Fortune 50 company, in the boardroom, I promise you there's a conversation, which is essentially, how are we going to compete on the basis of our customer experience? When mm-hmm. customers' expectations for a customer experience, especially as it's digitized, is higher and higher and higher every year, right? That is really overhauling, I would just, I would say industry, everything. And in retrospect, what we had stumbled upon was a set of problems, uh, problem space that software could give you huge leverage in solving, 
that what media companies really cared about has become now what every company is caring about, uh, mm-hmm. which is, and we sell to marketers and primarily marketing organizations as well, you know, developers and IT use us, but that's ultimately the customer. And what's driving that is, you know, marketing is a revenue job today. You know, your job as a marketing leader is to drive growth for your organization. And now that you own these customer experiences and you can measure the outcomes because they're increasingly digitized, that's the job. And your website is going to be your most important digital experience that you manage. It's where you convert your customers. You know, any ad you're going to buy or email is going to route to your website. And so that's your funnel. It's your primary point of conversion as a marketer. And the only way you're going to be able to, you know, increasingly marketers are understanding the only way they're going to be able to drive that conversion rate up, the engagement rate up with their customers, provide a best in class customer experience that delights their customers and competes is if they essentially have the same approach that best in class software companies figured out, you know, something like 15 years ago, which is this very agile, iterative approach to creating digital experiences. And once you realize that, well, then you're either going to build that, you're going to build DevOps as a marketing team. You know, or you're going to get help, right? And so we created this category called WebOps, which is DevOps for marketing. And we exist in a space where, you know, a lot of marketing teams are doing DevOps or implementing their own WebOps solutions, but they, they're just realizing that that is a problem space with actual solutions. It's not just something they have to cobble together on their own, but there, there is a industry being built to make that far, far easier. And so that's really undergirded our growth throughout our whole history. But the last two years, I'd say it's a lot of things are coming together where all the signals are kind of pointing in the same direction. And we invented this category, not really knowing (laughs) what it would lead to, but just knowing it was important. And now what we're learning is that it's becoming really, frankly, more and more important over time. And so just to break it down, maybe for some of the listeners who aren't as familiar with like the various spaces within development, software development, it sounds like your solution enables a marketing professional to be able to take a look at how users are interacting with their website and different parts of their website, and then kind of tweak the maybe some of what's appearing on various parts of the website and how it's appearing and when it's appearing so as to better optimize kind of the user experience. Is that what it's doing? It's kind of enabling the marketing professional to be a a developer? Yeah, that's basically right. I mean, the value of solving web ops is to have a system of record for your marketing team. So designers, developers, agencies, website owners, you know, CMO, to work together as a team to iterate your website and drive up your conversion rates and drive revenue, ultimately. And to do that, there's a whole, there are many, many technologies in the mix that need to be orchestrated, which WebOps software orchestrates, starting with, it replaces, you know, infrastructure, hosting, CDNs, all the things actually turning your website into SaaS. You have to do that before you can actually do the next part, which is the collaboration and workflow, how the teams work together and see work in progress and check that work before the change gets made live to the website. And then, of course, the marketing problem solving around analytics and personalization and testing, you know, that, that's really the stack of software for web that's required. You have to get those in, that whole stack in place before you can take this iterative, agile approach to web, really. And so companies are doing that. Certainly software companies are doing that effectively, but they're doing it by hand. And the value of a web ops solution is that it's a solution. It orchestrates all of those components and, re- and or replaces those components in a way that's just easier for an organization to get up and running with. Mm-hmm. And so switching gears a little bit about kind of business building, because again, you've done kind of a very nice job of scaling sequentially here. 
you know, the critical factor for most businesses or probably all businesses is recruiting talent. And you've seemed to have been able to do that from your kind of prior relationships. But how have you done it kind of consistently? Are there some kind of key tenets that you keep in mind as you hire people and, and as you think about kind of the strategy of scaling your business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a first time venture backed entrepreneur. I, you know, I have a lot to learn. I learned a lot of lessons by falling on my face and saying, well, that hurt. I'll do that again. And, you know, one of the things I found to be most important, it's really the, the single trait I look for in the end in a leader that we hire is their love of learning and their self-awareness and humility, you know, and, and ambition and drive to excellence to have a mindset where they just truly just want to learn. You know, they're open to when you tell them, hey, that's wrong. <laughs> like, think about this. The reaction isn't to be defensive. It's to be like, oh, interesting. Teach me. <laughs> right. And that's not everybody. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, that for us, that comes from a place. I think the from the beginning, the founding group has that love of learning from the earliest days, our first investor and early team and early mentors. I think we've done a really good job as an organization really just being just honestly humble and making the most of experience and advice outside our four walls or customer feedback outside our four walls that can help us. Like we don't care about the, the provenance of, of a good idea. We just want to get to the right, you know, very much get to the right answer. And, I, you know, I, I think if you look at it, especially in high career point that when venture back startups, when they really work, they get on this trajectory where it's a flywheel that in a build, right? And the way you get that flywheel going is, I mean, at its heart, I think requires this learning orientation throughout the whole organization, because that's the key to growth. You know, and I think, and what that really literally means is like, okay, so you might be excellent. I'll take, put myself on the spike. Like, you know, I might be qualified for the job at this phase, but it doesn't matter in a year or two years when the company is twice the size, right? Whatever I've learned, or <laughs> however good at the job I am, you know, when the company's, the organization is twice the size, like, literally rip up the job description, start over, right? And so I think that, and that's true for any role and certainly doubly true for leadership roles, is that I don't expect people to be perfect. I expect people to make mistakes, which is okay, it's fine. But I do expect people to up their batting average over time, you know, and in their careers and in their capabilities, you know, be on a trajectory of of improvement because that's ultimately what's going to really make or break the organization. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, how have you gone about selecting your investors? I guess this goes along the lines of scaling your business because you need people, you need capital. On the capital side, how have you gone about that process of selecting your investors? Yeah, it's one of these things where, you know, early advice I was given, I've always worked off of, which it's been excellent advice. It's served us very well, which is you choose the partner and you get them to a fair price. (laughs) And... So that's been our approach. And I think then it becomes, well, what are we optimizing for in a partner that we bring on? You know, we've always had, the company has grown. We've been lucky to have competitive processes. We've had our choice in partners. And we've always taken those choices very seriously because at the end of the day, governance is critical. And what governance feels like is there's a small group of people around the table helping make the most important make or break company decisions that you'll see. And who's around the table deeply matters, right? And how that group works together deeply matters. And, you know, that's the decision. The decision is in choosing a partner is, do I want this person around the table? And, you know, the financing, obviously, and the price and all these kinds of things, sure, like 
the deal has to work, but you're choosing a partner, you know, and <laughs> early stage venture deal, you know, partnerships, they last years and years and years and years. It's like kind of get married, right? So that served us very well. And I think another aspect of it is, you know, everyone on the board is what I've, I've learned is everyone on the board has a job and those jobs can very often are different. And like, you know, the same best practices to building teams you'd apply anywhere in your organization apply to your board in terms of values fit and hiring people for their strengths, not a lack of weakness and having diversity um, in backgrounds and perspectives so that you get this greater than, than the sum of the parts effect. You know, the board is just like any other team. You know, I think for a venture company, though, it's such a high leverage team for the organization because you can get to a place where, I mean, really, I mean, we've been very fortunate to get folks who are just beyond industry experts, like literally shaping whole the best practices of industries. Lisa Fink, I would brag about, she, you know, she was there from Tableau software from like 5 million of revenue to over a billion of revenue. You know, she Mm -hmm. is a true marketing leader and having her around the table is just, I mean, it's just changed the company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, one question I I like to ask folks, uh, especially entrepreneurs is about their most challenging time. And, you know, you've been on the battlefield for over 10 years as an entrepreneur, at least in this go round. And so you probably have a lot of experience to draw on, but could you share with the audience you know, about a, a very challenging time you had to face. And when you look back on it, you think, wow, I, I can't believe we were able to actually get through that. And it was kind of very memorable experience and helps you to this day because of what you learned from it. Yeah, it's a great question. So many of those at Pantheon, but I'm actually going to pick one that's before Pantheon. So early in my career, so I worked in the Dean campaign. I remember, you know, the campaign didn't win, but had made this huge impact. And I remember the campaign leader, who I believe was Al Gore's close partner, someone who's seen a lot of campaigns over the decades, got up and gave a speech as everyone went on to the next thing in their careers. And I, I remember this speech very well, kind of almost word for word. I remember the what the room looked like. And he essentially said, look, I can call up just about anyone in the country and they'll know what this team has accomplished. And that is an exceedingly rare thing for one in your career. That is, that's literally a golden ticket. And whatever you go on, to, any of you go on to do, <laughs> know that you have this, you know, you're probably not going to get another one of these in your career. You're going to have this really special golden ticket. <laughs> so use it wisely, <laughs> was his guidance. And I remember like I was very, I was, I don't know, 20, I was like, oh my God, I have this golden ticket. What am I going to, what am I going to do? So I very consciously spent my golden ticket on this project where we were taking the software we built on the campaign and then applying it in the nonprofit and advocacy sector. And as a startup, we're essentially just building the nonprofit sector equivalent of the Mozilla Foundation and got a lot of customers very early, got really amazing support from tech leaders, venture capitalists who wanted to work on these nonprofit problems. And things were going quite well. I mean, we had a lot of traction. Things were going really well. But the problem was, is I was terrible <laughs> at fundraising from foundations. I just didn't get them and they didn't get me. We were just didn't understand each other. And at some point, you know, I realized that this just wasn't going to work. And I am very, <laughs> no, I don't, downsides, like I'm, I'm probably a little stubborn. I do not like quitting, but I folded the cards. I, I realized that after a lot of struggling, that this was not going to bear out. And, you know, I, I, I was, again, I was quite young. It was this whipsaw of like, oh my God, I know exactly how the world works and how to have impact to, no, I don't. <laughs> I have a lot to learn about how the world works. And I, you know, it was really 
I believe in the vision of what we were doing. I still believe in the vision of what we were doing. We had traction, but the path didn't work. And I realized I was missing tools, right? I didn't have the tool set required to take a big vision and make it work over years and years and years. But I carried things from there that, I mean, just incredibly instrumental. Like I, you know, out of that, built relationships with my co-founders, Josh and Matt, and then David. So, you know, three companies, 16 years of work together. Incredible. I met two venture capitalists who I really admire, who taught me about this path of building organizations, which really is, you know, unbelievably instrumental to me, like to me personally, my career, very, very lucky to have met them. And, you know, and the path after that was actually didn't have a next thing. It wasn't a, I didn't have, we didn't have a vision. It was literally like, we have a lot, I have a lot to learn. You know, Matt and Josh are incredible, like, way smarter than me and incredibly hardworking. Our original business plan was like, let's just work together. We consulted. We had no business plan. We were just going to work together. And then we knew, we had a sense that we, you know, we were going to do something big, but we, we didn't know what that was going to be. Last question, as I'm eyeing the clock here, I know we're short on time, but is there someone that you look to as kind of a role model, someone who helps, you know, even just thinking about them helps you kind of think through a problem in terms of, you know, asking yourself, what would this person do? Or how would they analyze this situation? How would they frame this problem out that helps you and has helped guide you kind of along the way? Is, is there, you know, someone and it could be, you know, in your professional career, it could be growing up, it could be at any point, you know, in time, just someone who you've you know, thought of really highly and sought to emulate in some way. I have a lot of those and I'm, you know, incredibly lucky. If I had to pick one, it would be my uncle. i uh, very lucky to know, even through my family, Jay Rosen. He's a professor at NYU. He is, I know, I'd argue, the most important press critic in the country. And I remember he gave me this gift, which as a father, I now recognize how what a gift it was, which was, I was maybe 12. I'd have conversations with him where he wouldn't just treat me like an adult, he'd treat me like a peer. And conversations like very, like, you know, the role of press in a democracy. What was going to happen to journalism in the era of the internet? You know, we'd have multi-hour, multi-day conversations around these topics. And I was, you know, I, I had no business engaging with him, but that's just who he was, you know? It just is who he is. And that really, I really, I know that affected me and how I, you know, think about how the world works and what I want to work on. And then, you know, you've seen this, I'm sure, in the venture world, but there's lots of challenges that I think the Silicon Valley or venture ecosystem has. Absolutely. One thing it gets, in my experience, that it gets right. And it's just part of the culture, which people miss is, I mean, I actually think this is a secret of Silicon Valley, to be honest, is how mentorship driven it really is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that example would be, I mean, geez, when we started Pantheon, I had no idea, I mean, how to even think about starting a venture back software company or raise money or do the first phase of growth for the company, I basically cold emailed a CEO who was quite successful and worked at a, you know, ran a company. It wasn't a competitor, but it was like adjacent enough that if you squinted, maybe you could consider a competitor. Basically saying like, I really admire what you're doing. I, I need help. Like I need some advice. Can I, we get coffee? And within a day, he emailed me back like, sure, amazing. And yeah, I would love to. And I got copy of them. And so his original advisors and investors became our original syndicate in our seed round. Like without him, the James Lindenbaum, that founder Heroku. I don't think I don't think it would be a pantheon, honestly. And I, I there's a good chance we would not even have went down the path. And the, the thing is, like, that's actually not a 
rare example. I can point to many, many, many career company altering interactions like that where it is just the norm. It's just a norm. If, if you're emailed to get coffee <laughs> and then someone asks you the secret to the universe, you, you help them. <laughs> and I, I think I definitely encourage everyone who works in this industry to take advantage of that, you know, and be willing to be get rejected. I'm not saying you're going to get, you're in about a hundred on these emails, but like you get 10% of them. Oh my God. That's really interesting, you know, maybe for folks who aren't as familiar with how Silicon Valley works or how relationships kind of develop and and form and how open it is, is, you know, one might think that, oh, maybe I have to be more secretive about what I'm working on, you know, be in quote unquote stealth mode about it. But it seems like in your case, and in many cases, people talk freely about their ideas and in order to get the best advice. Totally. I'm of mind, and there's different minds, right? But I'm of mind that ideas are cheap and execution is the ballgame and relationships are kind of at the heart of execution at the end of the day. It's it's finding the right people and the right support network and mentors and collaborators and co-founders. Like that's ultimately the what makes these things work. Well, that's a great note to end on, a very keen insight for folks in the audience. Zach, want to thank you again for taking the time. This has been a great conversation, and I know our audience will find this very insightful. So thank you. Thank you. This is really fun. 